Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, executive coach and speaker, and I have a passion for helping people make positive, transformational changes to their businesses and themselves and break through roadblocks to live their best lives. Let's get to it. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm so glad you're here. We have a really powerful show for you today, a different show. Um, And just to give you some background, you know, there's so much going on. And I, I think it's safe to say that the recent events have had all of us reeling. Um, And I just have been taking the time to do some pretty major self-reflection and just really take a hard look at my own life and my own tendencies and behaviors. And I was, uh, you know, I'm a planner, as you all already know about me. And I had my next three guests all set way ahead of time, already knew what I wanted to talk to them about. And Last week, I was prepping with my guest that was supposed to be today, and both of us were sort of sitting there thinking about what the show was going to be like and what we wanted to talk about, and she finally said to me, you know, this just feels like a really hard time for me to be a guest, and she said, you know, there are voices that people need to be hearing, but I don't think it's mine. And I said, you know, I agree with you. I mean, to be honest, it feels like the only thing we should be talking about is racism. And neither one of us are equipped to lead that conversation. So what do we do? And I suddenly just had this thought, like, you know what? What if we just postpone? What if we just say we're we're not going to record right now. We're not going to do a show right now on burnout and boundaries, which is what we want to talk about, which are great subjects. But what if we actually do those in a few months? And what if instead I actually give this time, this platform to strong female black leaders? Those are the voices that need to be amplified right now. And she instantly was like, I love that idea. That's such a great idea. So that's what we decided to do. And then I thought, okay, what if I actually just gave all three of my upcoming shows to strong female black leaders? And I reached out to all three of the guests and every single one of them wrote back and said, thank you for doing this. It's the right thing. I'm excited. I'll come on the show anytime, but this is the right thing. And so then I sort of had this pause of like, okay, well, (laughs) I'm really excited. I really intentionally want to do this. And where do I start? Like, how do I get these amazing women to come and talk to me? Because the truth is that when I look through my followers And my listeners, most of my listeners, they are people who look like me. So where do I start? So today I am starting with my dear friend and powerful speaker and just a woman who just brings fire every time she talks. And it is Shay Bearfield. And I'm so honored that she's here with me today. And for, for those of you that have been listening for a while, 
She has actually been here before. Um, we had an amazing conversation. We met through Eris Sisters. We, we instantly connected and have become very close. Um, and Shay has this really unique way of making people feel seen and heard and cared for. And when you meet her, I will say you feel like she's your best friend almost instantly. It's, it's a total gift and she's humble and lovely and a powerful force that I feel so blessed to have in my life. And today we are going to have a really important conversation. We're going to have a conversation about race, about love, about compassion and truth. And it might be uncomfortable for some of you, even for Shay and I, but it's important. And Shay and I agree that we can have this conversation because we love each other and trust each other. And so she was gracious enough to come back to the show. And I just want to encourage everyone to just listen with open hearts and open eyes and just curiosity, you know, I mean, that's where it started for me, just curiosity, like how, how am I showing up in the world today? So with that, I would love to welcome Shay. Shay, thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you, Sam, for real. Thank you so much for letting me be here with you. It really is such an honor for me. And I know the first time we spoke, people took so much from that conversation. I had so much feedback around what a powerful voice and just your stance on loving people and showing up in the world. Um, and so before we jump in, just for anyone who's new to Shay, will you just give a little bit about you um, and maybe just, you know, some of the things that you're really passionate about? Okay, so my name is Shay. I'm from Freeport, Bahamas. I went to the school all over the world, honestly, from the Northeast in the United States of America to Europe and then back home into the Bahamas. So um, I feel like my, my, my global outlook is it's pretty big and rich and deep. And so I, I have a very strong commitment and passion to our alikeness, our sameness, our holding space with one another that is birthed out of this fundamental same space. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you were raised, where you were born, what race you have, what sex you have. We all know pain. We all know heartache. And we all ultimately want our lives to mean something. We want our lives to matter. We want to know that as many times that we circle the sun on this planet, it counted for something. We don't want to disappear. And I'm passionate about seeing people and making people feel seen and making other people see them. And you do yeah. that so well. You do that so well. And I, um, I hope, you know, at the end of the show, we're going to tell people how they can connect with you. But I just want everyone to um, follow you and to take some time to watch some of the content that you put out in your IGTV live videos. They're really important conversations and they're inspiring and really bold. Um, and you. so I just, you're, you're amazing. So. Okay, Shay, are we ready? 
Are we ready Let's to do get it, girl. To this conversation that's so Let's get dirty. And um, I know. Let's do it. So, okay. So just so everyone knows before we jump in, Shay and I, since we met, I mean, we talk several times per week. And we so we talk about a lot of things. Um, and part of what I think ha- we talk a lot about is that we really are bonded in sort of this mutual um, passion for people feeling seen and heard. And also our journeys are, are a little parallel. We're sort of, you know, walking through this um, speaking platform Um, Mm -hmm. having a voice. We're walking through a lot of that together. And Shay and I are both Enneagram twos for any of you that know what that means, which I wasn't surprised to find out. (laughs) So we go deep, like our conversations go deep. So Shay, can I know it's just my favorite kind of conversation. So Shay, I'm thinking, can I just start by sharing my own journey over the last two weeks um, because it really, it really started with you and one of those phone calls, one of those, you know, weekly phone calls with you. So, um, and I'm going to be really vulnerable here because I think that maybe this might be where some of you that are listening are. So I would say always anyone that <laughs> knows me knows I love people. I love all people. I firmly am against racism. I believe it's vile. I rebuke it. It's not part of my fabric. And I got a phone call from you after George Floyd, and you were putting out a lot of content around racism. And, you know, it was really powerful and having some really powerful conversations. And I was standing with you in that, but quietly, but I was standing with you in that. And so I called you and I asked you how you were doing. I called just to check in on you because you were putting so much energy out into the world. And I will never forget it because you said to me, Sam, why doesn't my life matter as much as yours? And you were tearful. And I, my nature is to encourage. And my nature is to take the pain away. And so what part of my brain wanted to say to you was, what? That's not true. You're phenomenal. You're amazing. You do so much to touch the world. That's not true. Your life does matter as much as mine. Because in my world, in my head, in my heart, it does matter. But something stopped me in that moment because I realized that that response is part of the problem. Because what you were saying to me in that moment is the truth of your experience and of Black people's experience and me encouraging you or trying to convince you that you do matter is not actually how we're going to make change. And so I just listened to you. And while I was listening to you, I also was learning and thinking, still thinking to myself, I am against racism. I hate it. It's vile. 
It's not part of me. And Shay, tell me, I will do anything for you. I stand with you. And I still wasn't connecting that I had a part in all of this. I, I accepted that I, you know, am privileged. And I, but, but I didn't, I really didn't identify with having a part in racism. And so over the course of the last two weeks, I decided that I was going to start paying really close attention to all the information that was out there and really think deeply. And what I kept hearing was, if you are white, you have a part in this. There is no neutrality. You are either anti-racist or you are racist. And so suddenly my mind shifted to asking myself, like, do I have a part in this? Like, I don't believe I do. Do I? Do I really? Because if I do, I want to know what it is. And then I understood. My part in it is that I am very careful about what I say and how I communicate so as not to offend anyone. And over years and years of being careful, I have been silent unintentionally, but I haven't been boldly speaking my heart. I have not been anti. I've just been quiet, Mm -hmm. quietly against, quietly loving. And so I realized in that moment that that is my part. That's where I'm complicit. And it broke my heart, to be honest. And I had some um, apologies that I made to Black friends that I assumed because on the outside their lives look like mine. I assumed that they somehow escaped or were immune to feeling racism, that they were okay. And I never held space for them or just asked them. We never had the conversation. We talked about everything else. I'm telling that story because I just am really thankful that you cared enough about me to show me grace and love and resolve and were willing to enter into those conversations with me. It's, this is life-changing for me. And I wanted to share it because I hope everyone listening comes in, like I said, curious, like just curious, like really honestly. So that's where I started. And now I don't feel guilty or ashamed about it. Now I feel like it's time to get going. Wow. Yes. I mean, that's exactly right. I'm, I'm taking in everything you're saying and I'm just like, first of all, I had no idea that that statement or question, because it was more rhetorical, um, would was transformative for you. You know, like that question was birthed out of me laying in bed with my husband and, and just seeing that and being like, there's so many, you talk about being careful. There's so many microaggressions that happen to black people that specifically happen to me in my daily life that I'm able, that I actually feel 
and I'm not doing it anymore. I actually feel um, compelled to caring and, and making sure your sensibilities and your sensitivities are not brigaded um, in any way and that you feel comfortable. And I think when I saw George get murdered, I think it was just like the last straw. Like there's so many voices throughout my day that are telling me, you are not good enough. You're gonna have to prove that you can even enter this room. You are gonna have to be, and this is not hyperbole. You're going to have to be supersonically better than every person in the room just to, just to be perceived as all as a legitimately valid uh, to enter the room. For example, let me just tell you this in my own life. Um, I have an undergraduate degree. I went to school both in Monaco and in the United States. I went to law school. I am highly intelligent. I'm well-spoken. I... I'm charming. I, I disarm people naturally. I am able to make, draw people into being seen and heard magnificently and quickly. And I currently, one of the jobs that I hold right now that feeds my family, it's not what I'm born to do, but it's what I'm doing for right now as the other doors keep opening that allow me to speak and help transform people's lives and help us see each other. But that job that I have is real estate. I work for new home construction. I work in the new home construction industry and I sell homes. I tried to get this job forever, forever. You know, like when a door keeps getting shut in your face, you start surmising that the other people on the other side of the door are flipping amazing. They have to be. And then finally, you get on the other side of the door and you're like, there is nothing special about these jokers. Yeah. So I know this could sound self-aggrandizing, but I'm beyond false humility. I'm taking Maya Angelou's um, advice. I don't have to be falsely, false, I guess, express false humility for, for me to own my power and own my value. Now, so what I'm telling you is every room that I enter right now, I work with people who graduated from high school. And I'm not saying that they're less than because they graduated from high school. But damn it, why did I have to go? Oh, so sorry. <laughs> Keep rolling, sister. Why did I have to go to law school to just get in the door? I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable. And I wish I could tell you that that is a singular experience. It is not. It's a consistent experience. Another thing. So to your question, or, or that question where it was birthed out of, George broke the back on all of those many times that I have shown up in power and value and had to prove that I was valuable. And I, was, and I saw one of my kin, one of my brothers, and frankly, one of your brothers being murdered in the street. And I just was like, not one more time. Not, I get it. 
I get that you don't think I'm good enough. I get that you don't value, but can you not choke me out? Can you not kill me, please? Fine. Walk around with your racist ideologies in your heart. Believe me, the flip alone. And I couldn't deal with it one more time. Just yesterday when I went running, I'm telling it's these microaggressions. And finally it becomes this like boiling pot of like anger and frustration. Yesterday I was running. It's another time. This has happened every single time. Only one person did it yesterday uh, in, in like weeks. I'm running down the, the sidewalk. There is a white person or a, a white couple running towards me. We're still in the COVID world. So the idea is we see each other. You go that way. I go this way. And we stay six feet apart. Every time I'm running. Every single time. I hate speaking in absolutes. The white people expect me to get off of the sidewalk and go into the road. They never move. Hmm. And I wish I could act like that doesn't bother me. And maybe it is, maybe they're thinking something else, but I find it interesting. (laughs) And I don't think that they have to consciously think it. No. I think that this world has so told you, you are the center, you are it, that it doesn't even dawn on you to get off the sidewalk for me. Yeah. Yesterday, a lady was running down the middle of the sidewalk. I'm running down and I start moving physically over to the far right. And I'm thinking I'm going to indicate to her, like my body language indicating her, you go to the left, I'm going to the right. Do you know that sister never once broke um, running down the center? I had to jump off and get into the middle of the road. I thought, wow, I wish I could walk around the world like that. Mm-hmm. Kidding. I actually am so grateful that my slightedness and humanity as a black woman has caused me never to want to do that. Even if I could, excuse me, even if I could. Yeah. And you know, I know there can be arguments like, Oh, well it wasn't racist. And she, I'm telling you, it's not, it doesn't have to be conscious. It's just, we're all fed the same bag of lies. You know, that instance in the park most recently where the young lady um, called 911 on the black male who was bird watching because he had asked her to put her dog on the leash. She doesn't even know this. She probably doesn't. I don't know her personally, but I can promise you what was, what made her do that is he was correcting her and she felt like you don't correct me. I correct you. What she was feeling was a dissonance with her societal expectations and what was happening. And, and do I believe she was scared? I absolutely believe she was scared. That is the scary thing. We're scared about these narratives that have been built about us that have nothing to do with us. Yeah. And yet I have to shadow box against that narrative. Yeah. I'm tired. I, I, I understand. I, I'm get, getting to understand. And I think, you know, one of the things that really struck me that I just wanted pause on for a second and then we're going to go to our first break, but you, the amount of effort. So you are in mostly white spaces. I am. am. Okay. And the amount of effort that you put into entering into those spaces and making sure that all of the people around you feel comfortable. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know I have to do that. When you are the only one of you in the room and you, no one else is going to the effort to make you feel comfortable. It's like, so when you actually really think about it logically, it makes no sense. It's not it, right. It's not. And like you said, it's, I don't believe, I mean, it's certainly, I believe there are people who are intentionally um, doing this. I do think for so many people, it is unintentional. Like I said, I mean, even the thought of the word racism with me, with my name, it made me sick to my stomach. It was like, no, no. And then I had to be really honest and it's unintentional. Like all my followers look like me. My guests look like me. My friends, thank goodness God has brought friends like you in my life. But mostly I'm surrounded by people like me. And the fact that we're not consciously actively working on you feeling more comfortable. It's really amazing to me because like I said, I don't believe it's intentional. I think, I think probably you are so um, excellent at connecting with people and making people feel seen and heard. And like I said, this is, this was a trap I fell into with another one of my girlfriends. I would not before all of this, I would not have automatically assumed that you dealt with racism or microaggressions all the time. That's my own ignorance of just being honest because you don't wear that when you walk into a room. And I realize now you don't wear it intentionally because you're making me feel comfortable around you. Yep. I have to make you feel comfortable. Because if I don't make you feel comfortable, you can't see me. All you see is the narrative that you have been taught about me. So my goal is to immediately and quickly dismantle the narrative and help you see me. And, and how I help you see me is I make you like me. Mm-hmm. It's really, I mean, it's really profound. Okay, Shay, we're going to take a quick break but we have so much more to talk about. And when we come back, I really want to go back to your childhood. And I would love if you would just share the, um, the way that things changed for you moving from the Bahamas to the United States. I think that that story, it just completely um, struck my heart when I heard it. So everyone, you are listening to the Imperfection Wins Show on KKNW 1150. And we will be right back. Hey, everybody. It's me, Sam. Many of you know that one of my greatest joys in life is handing out small, perfectly imperfect wooden hearts. That's right. I said perfectly imperfect. These are the words that came to mind when I held one of these handmade hearts in my hand for the first time. These beautifully crafted, imperfect hearts are made by my friend Gary. Fate brought us together, and ordering hearts from him and giving them to anyone who needs one has been a joyful part of my journey. 
The hearts serve as a physical reminder that things don't need to be perfect to be meaningful. Check out my website, samwilling.com forward slash imperfect hearts for the whole heart story to place an order or make a donation. 100% of the proceeds go towards the mission. Don't forget that samwilling.com. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm here with Shay Bearfield, and we are just having, um, I hope for all of you, a really meaningful, open conversation. It, it certainly is for me. And Shay, I heard you tell a story on an IGT Live, um, IGTV Live, that you, just about growing up, in the Bahamas and then coming to the United States. And I was really struck by it um, because there were start, there's such a starkness in the experience between the two places. And I think telling the story about your experience might help people understand what we've done, like how we've categorized, um, Black people in this country and experiences that children are having and how those experiences carry on through their lives. Mm -hmm. So would you just share about, you know, a little bit about your childhood in the Bahamas and then your move to the United States? Yeah. So growing up in the Bahamas, I, I did not know I was Black. You know, I grew up, I was just, and I thought I was beautiful and special. People loved me. People thought I was a cute little kid. And um, it was, it was pretty idyllic, to be honest. Um, And then my mother and father started having significant issues in their marriage. And my mother's an American. I need to say that. And my father's a Bahamian. Um, But the Bahamas is the country that, that raised me. And so my mom reached out to her sisters and said, Hey, you know, having these issues with my, can I send the girls to you? And my, of course, my aunts, her sisters were like, send those girls. We got them. So for third grade was the first time I recall being in the United States. If I had visited before, I, I have no memory of it. And I went to Pine Creek Elementary School. I remember that. And in the Bahamas, we start school when we are three years old. And so at the age of seven, if you follow it, I'm supposed to be in the third grade. I had done the second grade before. So I remember arguing. They wanted to put me in second grade. And I was like, I'm not going in second grade. I've already done second grade before. And I just remember holding my ground on that. And eventually they did put me in third grade, but they put me in special education. And I love telling people this because I'm not, I'm, I'm just it's not, I'm not trying to be self-aggrandizing again, but I'm going to sit in who I am and my value with great humility and appreciation. I have no problems intellectually. That is not my weakness at all. And I remember the kids calling me nigger. And I, I honestly didn't know what the word meant. And you know how when you think back on things when you're a child, time is like, it's ethereal. It's hard to touch. So this could have taken place over a day, an hour, a week. 
But all I know is I remember contemplating what could this word nigger mean? Now I knew it wasn't something good because their faces looked gnarled and mean when they were saying it. So I can read body language. Um, I think it's like 90% of our communication is through our body language nonverbals, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm like, ooh. And one moment I remember it being like, I think it has something to do with me being brown. <sighs> Maybe they just don't know that I want to be their friend. Let me just make that clear to them. All I want to do is be your friend, nigger, nigger. And it hurt my heart so something fierce that I remember going home at night and praying that God would turn me white if he loved me. And, you know, that breaks my heart when I'm hearing myself say that. And I'm speaking about myself because the time has given me the distance that I can look at little Shay as if she's your baby girl, you know, or even my baby girl, that she's not me. And the idea that my little self felt so insignificant and lacking in value and that the only way that that valuation could be changed is if I had white skin is repugnant. It is repugnant that someone taught me that, you know, and, and now that I'm a parent too, I'm like, who were the jacked up people raising those kids? Like I can tell you right now, my little girl, when she was, she would not have known. I st we still don't know if she knows she's black. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, my husband's white. I'm black. We're always like, we don't know what she identifies as. And we just want to, like, stay back on the back yeah. of the burner and be quiet. Just yeah. and, and hear her identify herself. And if there's anything she identifies as, as, as probably a girl. <laughs> you know, um, I can tell that. Uh, but racially... I don't, I'm not sure, but it would break my heart if my little girl was being that cruel person in the world. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? So it just, it also just shows you the depth of the sickness because these were little kids being armed with hate in a time when they barely should have been armed with much of anything. Yes. Yeah. And you, and you tried to get care from a teacher. I did. Yes. I was pushed off of the monkey bars one day because I was really good at the monkey bars. I still got monkey bar skills. We can do it later. And um, I don't, I am not, that is not a strong point for me. All right. Got those monkey bar skills. And I guess I was better than the little boy, little white boy. Um, on the monkey bars and he didn't like that. So he pushed me off of the monkey bars and I flipped in such a way that I hit my head up against the side of the pole and it peeled off a big chunk of skin right there at the corner where your eye and the socket meet. And you know, you have a lot of capillaries in the head. So it bleeds a lot, head wounds bleed a lot. And so I'm bleeding. And I remember rushing to the prefect in the schoolyard and saying, hey, those kids, they keep calling me nigger. And they pushed me. And to coin Maya Angelou's phrase, people forget what you did, what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. I do not remember. 
I do not remember being cared for, which to me speaks volumes. I do not remember anybody rushing to my aid. That's not the feeling I have. What I remember are her words that she said this, sticks and stones, sticks and stones. Sticks and stones may break in bones, but names or words will never hurt you. And so the feeling that I have that remains, though I can't remember every 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 detail of the situation is that I was left feeling unworthy to be cared for. And because I was a little kid, I internalized it. And what I thought was, and I wish I was valuable enough for her to care. And now I'm an adult and I'm like, why were you a teacher? You did not need to be teaching anybody's children or, or, or overseeing their, their care and attention. Get out of that job, mean person. Yeah. But I couldn't, yeah, I, couldn't I couldn't see that. See that. No. I mean, you were a child. And I think the, the impact, and I just want everyone to know, you know, I, I heard this story the other day on an IGT Live from you, and yeah, yeah. it really struck me. And you asked me, you know, this is live radio, and you asked me if you needed to say the N-word or the real word. And, and that, you know, I appreciate that, you know, it's live radio. And what we agreed on was that, and you said it, (laughs) the N word is not what your seven-year-old soul heard. Nope. She did not hear the N word that sanitized. She heard numerous, numerous little kids consistently and persistently calling her nigger. with their faces gnarled. And that's the question that leads me to asking the good questions Yeah, and not the inferior questions. The question is, do we want to be a nation that raises cruel souls? Yeah. Do we want to be a nation that raised? Because this is what struck me when George was murdered. Both of those men were our sons. George is our son. And the gentleman who murdered him is our our son. So I want to look at us and say, what have we done to create a son that can choke the life out of another son in front of people chewing gum? That should be troubling to us. Very troubling indeed. So the thing, the same thing that's troubling to me is, what are we doing to raise children who will inflict this type of pain and hatred on other children. That's a scary thing. We need to be scared of that. And we need to actively go, no, we're not gonna do that. No, and I think that's the, that active part, right? Like that is the piece. It's the active, being active in it. Not just mentally, you know, not just having empathy, not yeah. just yeah. mentally going, oh, I'm against that, that's horrible. Right. Right but being active in it. And I think, um, you know, I was thinking about your story because your story made me sort of really think about like, what did, did I have like fractures that were even close to that as a child? And I really was like thinking about like the times that I was embarrassed or like, did I have anything like that? And this one, um, instance came to mind for me and it's really a silly story and I like but I'm just gonna say it because I think the connection point for me was big and it was this 
when I was in third grade, same age, I got a dress from my aunt. I had a really fancy aunt who she just traveled all over and she brought me this like beautiful dress from Paris. And I had never had anything so nice and I was so excited about it. So I decided to wear it to school. And when I left my house, I felt like a million bucks and like felt very proud to walk into school in that dress. And a couple of girls in my class started making fun of me. And they started a rumor that I was pregnant. I mean, I was nine, right? So like, but at the time, it felt you very one fast nine <laughs> Yeah, I was fast. So I remember it so vividly. I am almost 45 years old. I remember this vividly. I remember the dress. I remember the girls. I remember crying on the playground. And I remember the teacher calling all three of us together and handling it. And I was thinking about that because I'm like, that is a nothing that that story, while I remember it vividly because of how it made me feel, it is a nothing story in my life. It hasn't affected my ability to be successful or the way I feel about myself or my character or my, and here's the other thing that struck me. I didn't like that feeling that I had that day. So I never wore the dress again. I could go home and take off the dress. I never, I literally never had to put myself in a position ever again where I had that feeling. Mm-hmm. And so what I was thinking about is if that's like a silly fracture that I experienced as a child that I remember so vividly, I just want people to to think about the magnitude of the fracture you're talking about, because you can't just take off your skin. The fact that you were a child and praying for God to change your skin color. If he loved me, if he loved me, loves you, right? The value it's heartbreaking. It's horrible. It's really horrible. And, and I don't think that's a silly story. I think it's very poignant. The, the point is we all have fracturedness. We all have things. I, I always say this. If we all go back into our childhood, we all remember when or around when we were first told we were not enough. Yes. That's that you're not enough message. The only difference with your not enough message is it was predicated upon something that was movable. Yes. My not enoughness was predicated upon something that I intrinsically was. Yes. And that's very painful. It's very painful because I yeah. could control yeah. mine. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. And, and I hate that I thought that I should be required to. Yes. Because, you know, I'm really big on being color appreciative and not being colorblind. Mm-hmm. If, if you have to still be colorblind to levy equity you still have an issue. Okay. So I, I think that we are again going to the, to the good questions. Why? And I actually, I want to talk specifically about good questions, but we need to take a quick break. So let's take the break. And then I want to just talk about the good questions. Cause I think that's a really perfect place for us to end.
Okay, everyone, you are listening to KKNW 1150, the Imperfection Wins Show. We will be right back. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm here today with Shay Bearfield. And I honestly think we could do like a two or three hour show. I love this conversation so much. And um, I'm learning as always, and I hope you all are too. Um, so Shay, right before we cut to break, you started to talk about good questions. And I, you brought this up to me um, a few days ago, and I think it's really profound and I think it's really important. So will you just talk about that and, and where your head's at and, and give us just some insight into what that means? Yeah. So I've really, you know, I think a lot when I'm running. So I was thinking about good questions versus inferior questions and what they are and where you say, and I think it started when I first started hearing people say like, why are they looting? Why are they rioting? I, I, you know, why? It's just so silly. And I'm like, wrong question, wrong question. And I didn't know what I would come to now know and feel like as a philosophy is what I felt like they were asking were inferior questions. So good questions do one thing or two things. Good questions, they trans, they're transformative. They lead to transformation. They lead to mind and heart expansion. They do. Those are the answers that are birthed out of good questions. Inferior questions will lead to one of two things. You will circle the drain on the same thing and feel more hopeless. Or two, you'll be more ensconced in what you believe to be true before you ask the dang question in the first place. I'm not interested in the latter question. It, it does not move the needle. It does not move the needle towards love. It does not move the needle towards transformation. So those questions are a waste of my time. So it's a waste of my time to go, I can't believe they're looting. This is ridiculous. Why are you doing that? And I'm not saying I'm for looting or rioting, but let's get to what did we do as a society that that would be a reasonable expression? That's a good question because now we can transform that. Right. Right. We can, we're like, man, if you have had a million microaggressions between the time you were born until you are 45, seeing someone of your same cue who represents your father, your brothers, your cousins, your nephews, your, your spouses get murdered in broad daylight. I can't express to you the type of anguish, frustration, and almost violent emotions rise for real. And I am being very bold in saying that because my propensity is to want to make sure that I keep the white people in my world feeling safe and that they're not fearing of me. Because they already fear that I'm, I'm always perceived as the aggressor in situations, and I can go on to that later, where I'm like clearly not aggressing. So I say that with a little fear and trembling with the admittance of my own violent feelings that I felt that day when George was murdered. So then I want to go to, what have we done in a society 
to make a group of people feel so something that this is the only reasonable expression. Yeah. If we can do that, then that can transform our behavior, you know? Because we raise the son who could choke the life out of another son while chewing gum, daylight, surrounded by people. That should be troubling. Yeah, yeah I love, I, I think that that's really, really profound and really important because I think the questions, like the sort of like, baseline questions that are going around are exactly what you just expressed. Like, I can't believe there's looting. I can't believe there's writing. Um, you know, why can't we say all lives matter? Why, right. There's all of these questions and it's interesting because, um, even the questions are based out of white supremacy. No offense, Yes, but no, even that question I, is, yes, it is. And I think white people still need to be a part of their lives matter. Yes. It's like that your life has never been a question to have value, but it's so funny that any place where the white construct feels like they are not being honored as amazing, they have to still interject themselves into the center of the narrative. I think that's very interesting. I do too. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about before was like the motivation and you just, just talked about it was the mo is the motivation for asking the questions. Right. So that's right. Are you, am I asking to like affirm something that I already believe to be true or am I asking with openness and curiosity because I want to seek to understand. And that's where, that's right you know, you're talking about that heart expansion, um, you know, and I think that that is what we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so someone, um, a, a young white lady asked me, you know, like, how do I, I know whether or not the question is good. And that's where I say you should know whether or not it's an elevated and higher level question is you need to look at the motivations. If the question is looking at the motivations of why that is the thing, then that's going to lead to transformation. If the question is merely looking at to what the thing looks like and just what it is, but not what the motivations are that got you there, it's, it's an inferior question. Do I have time to tell a short little story? You do. Yeah. We have a couple of minutes left. Tell so a quick little story to give um, some analysis to good questions, inferior questions. I interviewed um, Brian Andreas and his partner, Fia, some time ago. And that while their company was going through some transformations, Story People, it's this very cool company. He's an artist, brilliant. Um, they had an older woman in this position, uh, like a, an administrative position. She'd been there for like 20 years, for a long period of time. Um, her husband had recently passed away. The company was changing all around her. Technology that was being employed all around her was changing. And the requirements of her job were changing. And one day, she was off or something, and Fia used her stapler. And if any of us are familiar with the office, you know, it's hilarious. So she used her stapler, and this lady went off on her when she got back like and instead of fia going like you know what you know what biddy don't go off on me you're rude and blah 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 and just analyze what was they would have still been arguing but instead fia went to the motivations why would this be a reasonable response 
and moving a, a stapler. Why would this be her reasonable response? So then that caused her to go, okay, she's a woman of a certain age in her 60s, looking at 70s. Her husband died six months prior to. She is feeling the question of the veracity and the value of her life in her position at her job. She's feeling left behind. She's feeling asked upon to do things that she feels completely inept to do. Maybe I too would act a fool if you move my stapler. Mm-hmm. If, if I had all those things going on. You see what I'm saying? I do. Asking I love that. This, it's not about the stapler. Yeah. Asking the good questions leads to compassion that you're always talking about. Yeah. That's compassionate leadership, right? Like that is it. That is it. So I love that story. And Shay, there's two things I want to know before we go. Like I said, we could talk forever. One is before we end, what do you want people to know just right now? I want people to know that the best of us will rise. That in times of peace, we do not know who our foe, who our friends are. It's times of war and brokenness when our friends and our compatriots stand tall. And it's times in brokenness that the best of us rises, that we push the needle and we're active because we can't sit on the side. Times of peace call nothing from us. Times of war and pain call everything from us. And what I want everybody to know is we are the people that will rise with everything in us. That's pretty damn amazing. You gave me chills and made me a little tearful. And I think you're right. And um, I'm just so grateful you're here. And I love you. And you have pushed me and taught me and been patient with me. And um, this is your time. And I'm totally with you in that. And I want everyone to go follow you. So will you tell everyone how they can follow you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. And I'm on YouTube. On Instagram, at, I'm at Shay Bear. You know, I spell my name a little differently. That's C H A B A R E. And on YouTube, I'm on The Shay Show. And come. I would love to enter. I would love to interact with you. And uh, let's rise together. Love you. Love you. That's a wrap, everyone. I hope it gave you some good food for thought. Go follow Shay. Check out her content. It's amazing. There's so much. I really am committed to educating myself and educating my family so that we can educate other people and and create a ripple effect of real change. And so go check out the content. I hope this made you just really think about some things and I'd love to hear from you if it did. And next week we're going to have another powerful guest on and I have no idea who it's going to be, but it's going to be amazing. And until then, just be kind, have courage and give yourself and others grace. Have a great Monday, everyone.